This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hey, good morning to you. It is a Saturday morning, trying to get you up and moving for the day. Great to have you for the ride, waking you up the best way we know how to do here on the program. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM on a Saturday morning. Got a little bit of moisture last night, kind of nice. I think some individuals kind of enjoyed that one. We do have some scattered showers and thunderstorms going on throughout this weekend and into the early next week as well. But get, you know what? Get it all out of the way right now. Get it out of the way so it can be clear skies. It can be sunny. It can be nice going into next week, which is 4th of July celebration. Great to have you this morning. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we would love to hear from you today. Open lines to you for the first little bit. we got a heck of a show lined up for you today. Super excited about it. As always, a lot of big topics we need to talk about. Some things going on across the state of Kansas and other places as well. So we'll get to that uh, coming up on the show at the bottom of this hour. Uh, and we've never had this guest on the program before, so I am super excited about that. But Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey, he'll be joining us on the phone and we'll chat with him about some of the latest going on in the city. Uh, we heard the news about the shooting that happened this weekend, the injured officer. We'll get an update on that one. He's talked about some of the increasing crime and violent crime going on in the city of Wichita, what we're working on to try and work on that as well, and other things too. So looking forward to chatting with Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey. Never been on the program before. So super excited about that. At the 10 o'clock hour, we do have Congressman Ron Estes. We sat down with him earlier this week on The Voice of Reason to talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and we'll get the latest update from him as well. And Dave Trobert, Kansas Policy Institute. We wrap up the program with him at 1030 to get the latest on all of the COVID-19 stimulus money coming into the state of Kansas, numerous different cities, numerous different counties, different school boards. How much money are they getting? What the heck are they using it all for, and why are we getting this much money. We'll talk about all the budgets and finances from COVID-19 stimulus in the state of Kansas. But until then, it is open lines to you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. There's, uh, it's been kind of an odd week this week across the state as the big push obviously has been, and we'll touch on a little bit of all this throughout the show uh, to get your thoughts on it, but we have the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus. It's now spreading across the state. Health departments are concerned that's going to be the new big one that we need to be concerned about. My question is, is it? Is it going to be? Uh, The symptoms I find quite ironic and interesting, whether it's going to be extremely deadly, whether it's not going to be extremely deadly. What we need to understand is that when viruses mutate and when they change and evolve uh, to become more contagious, predominantly the rule of thumb is for viruses when they do uh, mutate like that is that they become less severe. So are we seeing it becoming less severe or is it just as severe as the regular COVID, which some say wasn't even that severe as well, depending on who actually got it. And what are we looking forward to with the Delta variant? Because now there's another big push, just another wave of you need to go get vaccinated because of this Delta variant of COVID-19. So I want to get into that a little bit. Plus, we touched on it briefly yesterday during the Voice of Reason program for the week. But I want to get your thoughts on it with the state of Kansas especially. We've gotten rid of COVID-19 mandates, regulations across the state as a statewide government mandate. They're all gone. We don't have any more. Now, businesses can choose to mask up or try to prove you gotten vaccinated or whatever they want to do as a private business. They have the right to ask those sorts of things. But 
as we go through the transition and we start going into reopening phase, which we've kind of just jumped into, a, hey, we don't have any more uh, you know, requirements, we don't have any more regulation, which is a good thing in my opinion, then uh, are we still going through a transition of reopening in the state or are we just boom, we're there, we're good, let's get back to business as normal? Because right now we're not quite yet. Businesses are struggling with the labor shortage. Governments are struggling with the labor shortage. We ran the news story yesterday about Cedric County that has massive amounts of uh, uh, job positions open right now, critical positions in different departments at the county level that they can't get filled, and they're trying to figure out what to do there. So uh, we have the government struggling to fill positions. We have businesses struggling to fill positions. And while they're trying to open up, businesses financially are still struggling. Hat tip to the Wichita Eagle on this one. What 33% of small businesses in the state of Kansas are not able to afford their June rent. We're at the end of the month. And almost a third of all small business in the state of Kansas is not able to pay their June rent. Why? What's going on? Is it because we don't have enough workers to keep them open long enough to make revenue? Is it because the prices are going up with inflation and people aren't spending their money? Is it because people don't have any money right now because they're still on unemployment benefits or they're not wanting to go back to work? What's the deal and why do we have so many small businesses that can't afford their June rent? To me, that's a bit of a concern. Because that would be, you would think that would be the number one priority. With all of this money coming into the state of Kansas for COVID-19 relief at the at the school board level, at the city levels, at the county levels, at the state level as a whole, they keep saying they want to focus on small business. They keep saying they want to focus on the economy here to keep things going and to help different businesses that have been struggling, to help different people that haven't been able to make it. And that's really what this money is all about. Cedric County government, they received over $100 million of COVID-19 relief just a couple days ago. And they're asking you, the public, hey, we got all this money. We don't know what to spend it on. And they're asking, they're encouraging you, which you can, to go to cedriccounty.org. You can go there and you can fill out a survey on what you want the money to be spent on. And they say it could be spent on families. It could be spent on businesses. It could be spent on individuals. It could be spent on certain projects. Uh, it's really open for the most part. For the governments to be like, we want to spend it on anything that we want to spend it on. Which we encourage them not to spend it on long-term programs of expanding government entities. Because it's a one-time hit. And once that money's gone, then it's gone. Then we're going to be in a world of hurt, not being able to afford what we tried to expand. So what is the proper way to spend this money? But this entire last year, we've tried to take care of businesses. We've tried to take care of individuals. Why are a third of small business across the state of Kansas not able to pay their rent? For crying out loud. According to Kansas.com, in June, 53% of minority business owners couldn't pay their full rent in time. Nationally, uh, they're not sure about the minorities uh, specifically here in the state of Kansas. But here in Wichita, as you know, they started the Propel program that was helped to give up to a $15,000 loan for startups of new small businesses for minority owners in the Wichita area, which is fine. That's cool, I guess. I mean, I would like to open up to anybody as opposed to just someone with a certain skin color, because that's kind of weird to me. Uh, but anybody that wants a startup business or maybe has a business that's been struggling could get up to that $15,000 loan. That's specifically for district number one in the northeast corner of the city of Wichita. But I, I, it's a good program. Just open it up to anybody. It's like women or minorities. Okay, that's cool. But I don't know why we have to play the race card on that one. That's a little weird to me. But... This is a program, and the, the problem is the Propel program wasn't even used with COVID relief money. This is money from other projects that were just delegated across, and each district got a certain amount of money, like a million dollars or whatever, for those districts within the city to spend that money on whatever they wanted to. So 
with that plus the COVID-19 relief that we've been getting throughout the state for the last year from three separate COVID-19 stimulus packages from the federal government that's come into the state, why haven't we helped out small business? I think we have a little bit, but really we, we're now opening up. You're like, all right, you're on your own. We're going to extend unemployment benefits to where people don't want to go back to work until September or October this year, but we're not going to continue to financially support small business because they don't need it anymore. They just can't pay their month's rent. We're kind of living in a weird situation right now. Are we on track here or what the heck's going on? I'd love to get your thoughts. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. But now the fact that we have this issue going on, not just with private business, but now with the government as well, because of a labor shortage, we can't fill positions. Guess what? They're now politicizing and abusing these COVID-19 unemployment benefits to try and raise the market rates of minimum wage up to $15 an hour, which is not what was it intended for a COVID pandemic. You're supposed to go back to work, and then you're supposed to start making an income. Andy, my position and my type of industry is not there yet. So go do something else. Go do something else temporarily. There ever I was driving around yesterday. I was driving. Obviously, I have a bit of a drive to get to work, and I was driving and looking at businesses, and just about every single business shop that I drove by on the road, I saw a help wanted sign. So anybody that's sitting there and thinking that they can't go back to work because their job's not available for them and they're still sitting on COVID-19 unemployment benefits, the additional three to $400 a week, if that's you, I'm sorry, but now you have gone from um, trying to maintain during the pandemic to now mooching off the system and not getting back into the system to pay for your own bills and working, regardless of what that job is. We've all done jobs we don't like to do. We've all done jobs we don't want to do. But when we have a family and we need to take care of ourselves, get back to work. There are 50,000 jobs across the state of Kansas that are available right now from KansasWorks.com, and you can get certified in things. You have programs to get uh, to get training in certain things, and you can go into industries that uh, are available right now. Go back to work. Make the money. Get off the government time because if enough people drop off of them, then we can actually end the programs here in the state because Governor Kelly doesn't want to do it right now. But the county's looking, private industry's looking, but they're using this as saying, sorry, no, I'm making more money on COVID, and you need to raise your minimum wage to $15 an hour so that way you can compete with the unemployment benefits that I'm actually getting and making it worth to go back to work. They're abusing the system, and they're politicizing the system, and it's a little frustrating, I think, for most of us. Don't you agree? Let's go to the phones here, shall we? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, line at number one. Good morning, who's this? Hey, Andy, it's Sean. Sean, here. good morning, sir. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm just drinking my coffee, waiting for the liquor store to open. You know, I don't. <laughs> you know what? That's a watch. that's a good life to live. I have to admit, that's just a, you know, get to enjoy. Get to, you know, I'm going to have my morning coffee, going to go drink some beer later on. That sounds absolutely fantastic. Well, you'll be able to do that when you retire like me. See? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's on your mind? The last thing I want to come down with is uh, beer insecurity. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know what? As long as uh, I'm glad that they're so far, although they said there was going to be a bit of a beer shortage because of the pandemic, because they couldn't make the aluminum cans as uh, rapidly as they were. So there was a pressure on even on every industry, but between the distribution and taking it across the country and then the aluminum cans, that beer was in a uh, in a threat for a little while. So that did concern me during the pandemic. That was about the one thing that got me a little ruffled throughout this last year well 
there's always bottled beer. <laughs> that is true. That is true. We have the glass. But again, that goes down to the distribution. Were they able to get it to us because of the whole, you know, lockdown on being oh, able yeah. to transport garbage? Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to answer your question. But before I do, I got to tell you about this news headline okay. that I read off of uh, my Fox News app last Monday. <laughs> You're almost not going to believe this, man. Okay. I, mean, I, I think this reporter was trying to be funny. But uh, anyway, here's ha- here's how this headline read: <clears throat> U.S. Open, Mel Streaker runs through fairway, hits balls, gets tackled by police. <laughs> I thought about that for a second. I thought, well, <laughs> you know what? First of all, hey. whose balls did he hit? Did he hit his balls, or did he hit somebody else's balls? And uh, <clears throat> if so, what kinds of balls were these balls? Were they were they uh, golf balls? Were they ping pong balls? You know what? I uh, uh, kind of balls. Hey, you know, it's a, somebody was having a good time. If you can, if you can streak in the middle of a golf tournament in front of millions of people, both there in person and on TV, then I, I got to give you some credit. I mean, I don't know how many people would willingly want to do something like that. Well, I don't know either, but I do know that the way that story was was uh, was uh, typed out, the way it was worded, you could sure uh, have some fun with it, just <laughs> like I just did. <laughs> so, I like that. Okay. Well, anyway, so uh, <clears throat> how much money did the state get for COVID relief this year? Justin, one or between all of them? Because between all of them, I don't know. I mean, we've gotten millions upon millions of dollars between three different COVID re- relief packages coming from the federal level. Well, uh, if they're getting money specifically for COVID relief, you know, to give to uh, uh, businesses or give some of it to businesses to help them out, then I don't understand why in the hell they're taking a poll asking the citizenry for suggestions on what to do with the money. Well, that's the county that's asking for that, and the county hasn't received this much money before, but they did receive this one time because the government, at the federal level, when they spent the last one back in, like, December, we already had still, like, a trillion dollars that hadn't been appropriated to go send out to specific things. Then they wanted to pass that $2 trillion package on top of it. So there was massive amounts of money that they passed for COVID relief for the states that they had no idea how to spend because they just wanted to spend as much money as possible. So now the federal government's going around and literally just handing cities and handing counties a check all over the nation and saying, here's some money, do what you will with it. And it's for COVID relief, quote unquote, but there's no, uh, there's minimal regulations on specifically what they have to spend it on. So the Sedgwick County government has literally received over a $100 million check and said, here you go, have fun. And they're working on highway projects and they're working on different, uh, trying to raise uh, possibly wages for $15 an hour minimum wage for county workers or doing whatever they're going to do. But they have so much money now coming in that they say they want to spend it appropriately. So they have a survey for you and I in the public to say, you know what, go on and fill out the survey on what you want us to spend that money on. And I've told you before, this drives me nuts because government should never, ever, ever have more money than they know what to do with. They should be the ones saying, here's the money we have. Let's figure out what we can do more efficiently with it. But now we're in the complete opposite scenario here. Uh, So you're right. I mean, they could sit there and spend it on business and try and help them out. What we've done over the last year, unfortunately, has done a little bit of that. 
But what they've really done is they've focused so much money on trying to get mobile testing units for COVID-19, trying to get uh, places set up for the drive throughs for vaccination sites. And while that's fine and dandy and hunky-dory, at the same time, maybe we should have focused more so on helping individuals and businesses in the community. Well, then the uh, answer goes without saying. I mean, it's pretty commonsensical. Uh, if businesses need help, then give them the help that they need. Okay. I, I mean, I don't know how much money the county exactly got, uh, but, uh, you know, you can take some of that money and help these businesses out so they don't go under. Now, these businesses or some of these businesses, if they're not spending that money uh, to pay rent, then they're doing something wrong. They're they're mismanaging mismanaging it or something, you know, when they should be spending it on rent. And so now they're having trouble making rent and well, there's, no, a few, there's a few issues there. I mean, number one, you're right. I mean, they have to pay rent, which is big. They also have to pay their employees coming back when they didn't have maybe a stock fund or a, a security blanket any longer because of trying to use that to keep things maintaining over the last year. So maybe they had to rehire individuals. Now with the unemployment benefits, maybe they had to raise the rates they have to pay for uh, for salaries and for hourly rates for individuals to come in, not to mention the raw materials that are now more expensive because of all the COVID-19 backups or distribution and goods coming in. So prices are higher on the raw materials. Prices are higher on the on the services and goods that they're trying to provide at the same time. Then you got inflation on top of that that's making everything more expensive, which means their prices are going up, which means our prices on the consumer level are going up as well. This uh, Not only COVID has messed everything up, but now the Biden administration kind of poking the bear and letting that bubble burst is another major issue that we need to uh, uh, that we need to address. So small business, they are struggling and maybe some are spending it ill appropriately to some degree. But I think a lot of them are just trying to maintain the the current uh, environment financially with business, which is kind of crazy. Sean, I hate to cut you off. We got to take a break. We're late on one here, but we need to get this break in here. So I appreciate that. And I want to continue this conversation as we go along. So happy weekend to you, brother, and stay safe with all those crazy storms and rain and stuff. Although it's kind of nice for most people trying to see it cool off. It's supposed to only be like 80 degrees here in Wichita. So kind of okay with that one. 24 minutes past the hour. It's Candace Talk right here on KQAM. Stay here. Welcome back into the program. 28 minutes past the hour here on Kansas Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Happy Saturday to you. It's going to be a big show. Thanks again to the call, Sean. By the way, the promo you heard, uh, the Kansas Shrine Bowl, the 48th annual Kansas Shrine Bowl. That's going on this evening, tonight. It's going to be big. It's going to be huge. It's going to be bigly. It's going to be the biggest one you've ever seen in your entire life. And I'm excited. So that one's going to be broadcast right here on KQAM. You can hear that tonight. Pre-game at 645, kickoff at 7 p.m., so make sure to stay tuned in to KQAM all day long. We have some awesome programming for you throughout the day today between Joe Pags Live with The Weekend coming up after this program, Leo Laporte, your tech guy. We have On the House with the Carey Brothers. And then we, of course, have the Candace Shrine Bowl. That, and again, pregame at 645, kickoff at 7 p.m. this uh, tonight. You're not going to want to miss it. It is going to be a fun one. And we are broadcasting that here on KQAM and the Mid-America Sports Network across the entire state of Kansas. So big stuff going on there. Always stay tuned in as uh, we have some good stuff for you. When we come back, right around the corner, we'll take a bottom-of-the-hour bottom break. We have uh, Police Chief Gordon Ramsey, the first time to come on to the KQAM Airwaves with us here on the program. So we'll look forward to chatting with him, talking about crime in Wichita, the latest shooting that happened 
and everything else that's going on, what we can do to begin to get back to normal in the community just a little bit. Plus, Congressman Ron Estes kicking off hour number two as well. It's a loaded show for Candace Talk on a Saturday morning, hopefully. Oh, by the way, too, we also have uh, an event going on today. We had the guests on last week about it with the big idea. If you're involved or interested in holistic alternative medicine stuff, great speakers, nationally renowned holistic healers. They're in Wichita right now. They're kicking off about a half hour ago. That's kind of awesome. We'll talk about some of that as well when we come back here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. To Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Darn right, Gerard. Welcome back in. 35 minutes past the hour here on a Saturday morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for hanging out today. A little bit more dreary today than it has been the last couple of weeks. A little bit cooler as well. I'm kind of enjoying that fact. Uh, triple digits. The fact that we've hit so many triple digits for the month of June is a little crazy. That doesn't usually happen to what, July, August? Something like that. So that's a little wild to us. So hopefully you've been able to stay cool, stay refreshed, and uh, not break your air conditioner. I know we've been seeing the stories, too, about ACs that are going down and having a hard time getting coolant, refrigerant, and trying to keep those up and functionable. So hopefully things are running smooth on that front. All of it here on Candace Talk, presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. They're opening up right now. They're open until 2.30 this afternoon. You can also go online to philscoins.com. Uh, we're going to get him on the show probably next week. And uh, we tried to get him on this week, wasn't able to make it, so we'll get him on next week to talk about all the gold and silver stuff that's going on. As you know, he's one of the only guys in the in the not just the state of Kansas or the city of Wichita, the only guy in the region, in the uh, Oklahoma, in Nebraska. This whole, I mean, it's hard for them to get gold and silver right now, and he's got it. So make sure to go and check him out, ninety three forty four West Central Avenue, and he'll be open until. Till 2.30 this afternoon, off on Sundays and Mondays. They're closed. You can visit them online at philscoins.com. Try to get a hold of Police Chief Gordon Ramsey. Not able to get a hold of him right now, so we'll get him on the program hopefully in just a little bit. Uh, hopefully there wasn't like a big call or something that he needed to take care of or address, so we'll try and reach out to him a little bit later. If not, we'll reschedule him for next week. Not a big deal. But uh, speaking of police, real quickly, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. I saw this story. Now, you know, I don't, some of you, most of you, Maybe know my fear of this. I have this absolute, 100% complete terrorizing phobia of snakes. I'm not concerned about any other animal. Uh, I lived in Colorado. Mountain lions, bears, spiders, you know, whatever. I'm not afraid of them. I'm Don't worry about them. Snakes, I can't walk into the amphibian building at the zoo even seeing them behind glass, I just can't do it. I've had terrifying phobia of fear of snakes ever since I was a kid. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why I have it, but I've been terrified of absolute snakes. Well, this week, I don't know if you saw the story, and it wasn't in Wichita, but it was in, let me see if I can pull up the story here. Uh, of course, they're not going to let me do it. But uh, there was a uh, small town, I think it was Salina, 
actually, where this was. There was a call for a call to police for them to go and remove a snake off of somebody's front porch. The police were expecting, obviously, a garter snake or something on there. Maybe, a, you know, some type of whatever snakes are around here. There's like 70 different versions of snakes in the state of Kansas. That terrifies me, too, just throwing that out there. But they go, and apparently it's a six or an eight-foot-long python sitting on someone's front porch. Yeah, no, no, not happening. No, not doing it. Now, how you get an eight-foot-long python sitting on your front porch beats me, but apparently it was, and they got it. Now, obviously, they're not indigenous to Kansas or the U.S. at all in any way, shape, or form, but they are uh, sold here to individuals for exotic animals. So if you have an exotic animal like an eight-foot-long python, what the hell's wrong with you, man? No, just absolutely not. I Again, I don't care if it's a little, like, two-inch garter snake. No, it's going to eat me, and I just can't do it. So I've always had a phobia of snakes. But an eight-foot-long python sitting on someone's porch, that's unexpected. And when you see something like that, I would probably just burn my house down. Got to be honest. If that if that was on my front porch, I would just burn my house down, be done with it, claim the insurance check, and start over because I, ca- I, I can't. No. That's like the fear of, like, the snake coming out of the toilet, you know, coming up through the pipes and the water pipes and everything. I just – I. No, I just can't do it. Now, someone apparently has bought the snake off of police, and they are a quote-unquote responsible adult in the outside of that community that has bought it for the exotic purposes. So good for them. That's cool. You're crazy, but all the power to you if that's what you want to do. But I saw that, and I just, no, can't do it. One of my cousins lived down in Florida. They had snakes. I don't know if they still do or not. They had snakes, and they always wanted to come down and visit them in Florida. And I said, yeah, no, that's not happening. I'm not walking in your home while you have snakes. I'm sorry, just can't do it. Because, uh, actually, I don't know if I've actually told the story on the air or not. I'll say this real quick before we get back into the topics. But So, Mrs. Voice of Reason and I, we got married in Vegas when we when we got married. We flew off to Vegas. We got married, just her and I. Uh, kind of the bickering between families and stuff. We don't want to deal with all that. So, we just kind of, they knew what was happening. So, it wasn't technically an elopement. But we went and got an elope. We just flew to Vegas and got married over the weekend, which was really cool. And that's coming up on nine years in just a couple months, which is really crazy. But we were there, and we got we went to a hypnotist show in Vegas. You know, they bring the people on stage, make them do goofy things. You know, all that's great. We got we both of us decided to go up there to get hypnotized to see if we could. We had never been hypnotized before. We thought it'd be entertaining. We went up there. We both ended up getting hypnotized and staying on the stage the whole time. It was all great and fun and games until the guy took off his belt and coiled it up in his hand, brought everybody around to look and be like, hey, everybody, hey, come look at this. It's going to be great. And then started hissing like it was a snake. Now, obviously, it was a belt. We knew it was a belt. But under hypnosis, we knew, by golly, it was a snake. Now, because of that being my number one phobia, the (laughs) Mrs. Voice of Reason started second-guessing our marriage at this point as this was the night before we got married where I saw the snake. I threw her in front of me along with maybe somebody else on stage. I jumped over the chairs that were on stage, and I ran off stage because I was not going to be anywhere near a snake. Then they had to bring me back on and calm me down and do all that thing. But... (laughs) She, she had told me afterwards, she's like, wow, this is the guy that I'm marrying. She's, he's going to throw me in front of a snake if there's a snake around there. So thanks for protecting me, honey. And I, I didn't care. I will protect you against anything else in the world but get snake. And guess what? I can run faster than you. <laughs> so there is that. So kudos. At least they found the python and they found it at home. Hopefully I never, ever, ever have to encounter a python ever coming around me just looking at that. And I just canceled out my web browser while I was trying to look at that. So appreciate that. That's awesome. Um yeah, that that was that was enough for me to 
Say no thanks. Anyways, let's get back into the topics. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. So governor, uh, former governor Jeff Collier, who's running for governor again here in the state of Kansas, he has made the comment that if he becomes governor in the state that he would ban critical race theory from ever happening here in the state of Kansas, which is absolutely awesome. I feel really good that he did that, and I would support that mindset to ban critical race theory. We Last week we had a guest on in the uh, Overland Park area that apparently the school district wanted to try and implement critical race theory, just kind of slip it under the radar and be good to go. And I, I'm not okay with that. So critical race theory has already come to the state of Kansas, whether we want to accept it or not. Obviously, it's a big national issue as well, and it, it's a political partisan thing. One group says that we just need to learn how everybody was racist and the nation is like the most horrible place on the face of the earth because we're all a bunch of racists. And the other side saying, wait a second, that's just a bunch of crap and uh, look, again, you need to understand what critical theory is, not critical race theory, but just critical theory in general. Critical theory means that we're going to create a theory that challenges the status quo and the way that we operate. And then let's debate it because we want to figure out the traditions that we're doing, the go with the flow format that we go around here. What we're trying to do, if if that is the normal or if that's the best way or if we should challenge the status quo, because we should always be questioning everything. And I have no problem with that type of mindset at all. We should be challenging everything. However, when you, the critical race theory, there is no challenging. There is no debate. There is no dialogue. They say this is the theory, is that everybody's racist, the founding fathers were evil, the Constitution was terrible, and therefore anything that they did was bad because if they did one bad thing in their life, then we need to invalidate everything else in their life. And therefore, our nation was built on a false pretense of freedom because it's not because there are people that aren't free and yada, yada, yada. So therefore, critical race theory that's what the mindset is with the entire nation based on slavery and, and servitude and so on and so forth. So when you challenge it and you say that's not true, yeah, you know what, we had some bad chapters in our life, but that's not necessarily bad, then you're labeled, it's no longer a dialogue, but now you are just a racist and a white privileged individual that supports it because we can't have any competition, we can't have any conversation on these issues anymore. So uh, we can't challenge it, we can't question it. We just have to go along with it and agree with it. That's what's being taught across the nation, and it's coming here to the state of Kansas, which I made the comment last week that I'm a little ashamed that it's coming here to the state of Kansas because Kansas was one of the trendsetters for the civil rights movement, making everybody equal, making everybody fair. Now we're pushing an agenda that resegregates, that redivides by saying you're bad because of your skin color, you're white, so therefore you're white privileged, and you're racist, and you hate everybody else because you don't believe in critical race theory. It's already here. It's already come here. So former Governor Jeff Collier has said that if he does become governor again, that he would ban critical race theory by state law in the state. The, of course, school boards are losing their minds. The, uh, the, the Board of Education and statewide is losing their minds. They don't like that, and they're getting a little upset, which I don't care good for them. They can get mad all they want to. This is what we have to do. Now, at the same time, speaking of education, just to transition a little bit, the higher education in the state of Kansas has tried to implement, they've been doing this for years, they've been doing the critical race theory a little bit uh, for a long time as well, but over the last year, as you know, with COVID-19, their enrollment numbers for students have been dropping and going down, obviously because they can't have anybody in the classrooms or they were testing every week or they were doing whatever they wanted to do, whatever. Most of them went to virtual, which is a cool thing. I like virtual and I'm glad that we were doing a virtual lesson last year with COVID, but they didn't really offset the prices of university, but because less students were there and less students are enrolling, they're now talking about hiking up tuition rates. 
which we've kind of made fun of throughout the past as well, because why would you increase the rates for individuals going as opposed to lowering them or at least cutting some departments because there's not as many people interested in these certain departments? I know that you're trying to take care of your tenured professors who charge you 80 bucks a book and they change a word in it every single year. So that way we have to purchase a new book or a new version of the book every single year. I know you're trying to take care of your elite professors that are just trying to make it for the money because you couldn't make it in the real world. Yes, I said it. I don't care. I said it. And it's very true. They always say the ongoing joke is that if you can't do it yourself, then you teach it, uh, teach it to somebody else because you can't be in the industry yourself. Now, that's not to say like trade schools where you're actually training under individuals in the industry, because that's kind of cool, but not to knock professors or all professors, but a lot of them, if you can't do it in the industry, in the real world, then you go to the school and you teach it. That's just kind of the ongoing joke that is both for K through 12 and for uh, for higher education as well. But I know you're trying to take care of your teachers by not cutting a department saying, sorry, we don't have the money for this department anymore because only five kids enrolled in it. But instead, they want to raise the tuitions. Now, the Kansas Board of Regents has come out and I guess we should be praising them saying, no, we're going to keep tuition rates flat this year for like the third year in a row. You're welcome. I don't know why this needs to be an ongoing every single year decision to decide on whether we're going to raise tuition rates across the board at state universities or not. It should just be common sense. You're not going to raise tuition rates because that's really stupid. And if you need to raise them because you're out of funds, you should probably look at start cutting something. But they don't do that. They're like, oh, we're running a little short this year. Guess we better raise tuition rates. And they raise them by 2% or 1% or whatever because it continuously just goes up. That's the bad way, but that's the government way. It's the public sector way. We ran out of money. We can't downsize. We just need to find more revenue, and we're going to punish more people that are actually using our services. Kind of like the infrastructure package with Joe Biden, where he said that he wanted more people to get electric vehicles because we were going to spend how many millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, of taxpayer money to build electric powering stations, electric charging stations on highways, transition to these electric vehicle types of things. Then he wanted to turn around and raise user fees higher for electric vehicles. How are you supposed to make the market actually succeed when you're raising the rates on people using it, but you want people to transition to use it more, but then make it more expensive for people to use it? doesn't make any sense to me. It's what they're doing at the universities because that's, again, the public sector government screwed up way of, of looking at the world is we don't have enough money, so we want you to use our services more, but we're also going to increase the price of those services because we really need more money. We're a multi-million dollar university and we have millions of dollars worth of equipment and we have millions of dollars worth coming in from tuition rates and from university athletics and all this other stuff coming on. But we're a little short. We're just going to raise your tuition rates. But please come back because we really need you. It's a stupid way of looking at the world, but that's the way universities do it. Agree, disagree with me. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. It's Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome to Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Just a few minutes before the top of the hour. Great to have you along for the ride. Hour number one, just about wrapped up. Hour two, got a laundry list of guests you're looking forward to talking to. Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th District here. 
We talked with him just a few days ago while he was on the House floor making some votes. So we'll talk about that as well. Plus, uh, at the bottom of next hour, we have Dave Trabert, Kansas Policy Institute, coming on the program to talk about all the money coming in for COVID-19 to different school boards and cities and counties and the state as a whole. What the heck are we going to spend this money on and why are we getting so much money? Oh, that's right, because the government spent a lot of too much money to it. Now they don't know what to do with the money. So they're trying to find unique and crafty ways to spend it as opposed to just give it back and not spend it. But try and, t- try and tell that to a Democrat bureaucrat. No, boy. Oh, oh, boy. By the way, fireworks going on sale starting tomorrow in the Wichita area. We'll talk about that in a second as well. Some Apparently some controversy on selling fireworks, getting fireworks, and then shooting them off because some people just don't like that. We seem to have this debate every single year, so we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Open lights to you for the last few minutes of this hour, though, at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Yeah, this is Ray. Ray, what's going on, sir? How we doing? Oh, we're on my favorite topic, the schools. Yeah, yeah, what you got? The, uh, you think they're going to hold us up again for $500 million like they do every year? Oh, probably. I mean, we you we know, put that into the budget this year. They and, always, yeah. No, go for it. Yeah, I mean, they, they passed the budget for this year at the state legislative level, and they got more money at the education level, which, again, I don't know why, because this last year, School boards didn't spend a whole lot of money. They didn't uh, tip into their emergency funds at all at any school district level across the state. They still have record number, uh, record amount of money in their at their emergency fund level because all of it was funded for with COVID nineteen relief. So they have more money than ever before. <laughs> we still increase spending this year in our latest co- in our latest state budget, and so by next year they will get more as well. But yeah, so the bill that we already passed for this year that starts in July and just next week for our new 2021-2022 federal or state budget includes like an additional 5 or 600 million dollars more in education Good spending in the gosh. state. Oh yeah. Okay, my feelings are that every year that our 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 uh, scores go down for the children, they should be cut 10% mm. un- until it, it's like this the the beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. You know, if they can't, if if this is all the better they can do, they need to be tarred and feathered and run out of town, and they should never be allowed to teach or run anything. Well, they're a I, bunch of losers. Yeah. Well, I go I go after the administrators. I mean, the teachers. There there are ninety five percent of the teachers I think are doing a fantastic job. There are some obviously that don't care much about their job, unfortunately. But what okay, we now, the, yeah, the teachers have have given up their power to the union mm. and the administrators. Yeah. The administrators, uh, secretaries are very important to a business, but the administrators are just w- overpaid secretaries, yeah. and they need to be run off too. I'm right there with and, you. That they, top-down administrative yeah. state is ridiculous, not to mention we almost got it this year, which I think we can get it next year, but we almost got the school choice bill to be able to give a school uh, uh, a savings account for children so that way they can use that money as kind of like a voucher program to take them to charter schools or magnet schools or private schools. And if we get something like that passed in the state, the competition will go through the roof and education is going to be forced to, to raise their quality for competition or else they're going to see a, a, a massive drop in enrollment in their areas. And that's something we have to get through, and I think that will help change things as well. That's the, that's the way it ought to be because the school the public school system – they're a bunch of leeches. Yeah. 
Hey, I'm and, right there. And they need to be cut off. I'm right there with you on that one, Ray. I appreciate that very much. Got to get to the top of the hour break. So good to talk to you, my friend, and stay safe this weekend. But you're you're right. I'm right there with you. We need to do something. And, yeah, they got their more money. They got COVID relief money. They got an increase of money from the state budget. They still have their emergency funds are at record levels all over the state. And then they're going to be saying that they need more money because they don't have enough. I see new school buildings being built all over the place, these nice, fancy things. That apparently is going to raise morale for students to go to school or something. Kind of a weird concept. Hour number two of Kansas Talk coming right around the corner. Stay here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. One hour in the books, one hour ready to go here on Kansas Talk on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. It is a Saturday morning. Good Saturday morning to you. Did you survive the flood? Kind of fun. we got some storms coming through sporadically throughout the next few days here in the south central Kansas area, really across the state of Kansas. I'm kind of digging it, cooling things off just a little bit, and I think we need the moisture. Although I feel really, 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 really bad for a lot of the farmers out there. If you have not finished your wheat harvest for the summer, I know this is probably not the best time to do it, and I know it's probably stalling you a little bit, but hopefully you can get back in out there relatively soon and get that all wrapped up. Hey, welcome in. Hour number two, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, covered a lot of ground last hour, and with a couple of uh, with the guests not able to get a hold of Police Chief Gordon Ramsey, we will get him back on the program again soon, not to worry on that one. But I don't think we've done a full hour of just you and I chitting the chat on Kansas Talk for a while. So that was kind of fun, covered a lot of ground there. We got some more stuff we'll talk about this hour as well. All of it here on KQAM, presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. It's philscoins.com. You can also check them out uh, at their store. They're open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Also, they're closed uh, Sunday and Mondays back at it on Tuesday. About one of the only places in the entire Mid-America region that actually has silver on hand with the crazy high demand that it is right now. It's hard to get in. I know he's got stuff on order waiting as well, but he does have some in stock. So if you're looking for silver, if you're looking for gold, Make sure to go and check out Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. And we appreciate him partnering with us here on KQAM and the Kansas Talk here on the program. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. We have a lot I want to get to. We have fireworks starting tomorrow. We'll talk about the fireworks issue and fireworks safety, getting ready for the 4th of July celebrations. Are you okay with shooting off the fireworks this year? Are you okay with getting together with family and friends this year after the COVID-19 pandemic and now the fear of the Delta variant of COVID-19? Yeah. yeah. So we'll do that here in just a little bit. But first, just a few days ago, we sat down with Congressman Ron Estes. We talked to him on The Voice of Reason a few days ago, if you missed that interview. And he was actually on the floor of the House uh, doing some votes as we spoke with him. So we appreciate his time very much. But talking about the infrastructure plan, talking about some of the um, the bills that Nancy Pelosi is trying to ram through at the federal level and what the heck's going on with some of that. So this is our chat with Congressman Ron Estes from right here in the 4th Congressional District of Kansas. Congressman, how are you, my friend? You know, I'm doing well, Andy. Uh, good to talk to you. And you're right, I am. Uh, we, we're doing a series of votes today. So I actually just stepped off of the floor and I'm, I'm in the, the back room that we call the cloakroom. 
I love it. Well, I appreciate you stepping out to, to talk to us for a few minutes because it has been a while since we've chatted. I know you guys are really busy. Real quickly, talk about some of the votes that have come up today because uh, I can only imagine with a Nancy Pelosi-run House of Representatives, they're probably not the most conservative bills that are on the floor today. Yeah, the, the votes today have been a series of amendments on a bill and then the bill itself to, to actually mandate that the Securities and Exchange Commission require ESG, which is basically environmental, social, and governance standards uh, on every corporation in America, that they, they come back and they have to report back of, of uh, you know, what they do with the, their environment footprint and mandate these standards around uh, how many people they hire, of, of which category, and, and making sure, of, uh, you know, what type of people they have on their boards of directors and, you know, whether they check the box of uh, the right number of males and females and, and uh, um, you know, Caucasians and, and blacks and, and American Indians and trying to track all of that thing. So it's, it's really a big government overreach in terms of going through this process. Yeah. So in other words, it's going to try and regulate business on who you're allowed to hire, how you're allowed to hire them and what you're allowed to do with employees and with your products, because, well, it may be environmentally unfriendly. So therefore, I don't know if you're allowed to really expand your business right now. Yeah, it really is. And and it's another area where, the, where there's the mindset of the Democrats and, the you know, the socialism mindset where you control business is uh, to, to dictate what you can do. And, and you don't get to hire the best skilled employees. You have to hire the people that fill the check the boxes. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, one thing that I love uh, you to be able to be part of, because you were state treasurer here in the state of Kansas before you became a congressman, really into, that's why I think you and I jive on this. We talk about a lot about tax rates and the budgets and and trying to get uh, fiscal responsibility back into the federal government. You're part of the Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives, and this is the season now that you guys are starting to get into appropriations talks, or at least you should be. Uh, talking about the appropriations bills and getting into the federal budget. We've obviously spent way more money than we've ever spent before with COVID-19 and some of these other ridiculous plans that the Biden administration is going after. But where are we with these talks? And do we have at least a glimmer of hope in getting back to uh, appropriations bills instead of a big omnibus package for our federal budget this year? Yeah, you re- you really are. You hit the nail on the head in terms of talking about it. We're, our our national debt is now up to twenty eight trillion dollars, and it's just headed higher and higher. I mean, uh, President uh, Biden uh, introduced a, a bill to spend more than six trillion dollars this year, which you know when I first came to Congress four years ago, it was four point six trillion, and so it, it's it, and that was too big. That was spending more than we took in at that point in time. And he's just doubling down on, on increasing our national debt that our grandkids and and are, are going to have to pay back just to maintain the lifestyle we want today. And you, you'd ask about, uh, you know, what's going on on the tax front. You know, there's there's really two things that the Biden administration is pushing. Uh, one is just increasing rates across the board in America. And whether it's corporate rates, whether it's individual rates, whether it's rates on on anybody in terms of the process and, and what you do and, and how you do it. And, you know, the sad part about that is we had the, the economy humming in a great fashion in January and February of 2020 before COVID hit and, and the governor started shutting everything down. And that was in due to no small part to the tax cuts in 2017. And, and now the, the Biden administration wants to undo that and raise rates again. And in addition to that, they're making it worse by their, their parallel path is – uh, they they are going out to other countries and trying to make agreements to have a global minimum tax mm. on every company throughout the world. And it's because they know if they raise rates in the United States that 
companies will start going back and they'll they'll start moving out of the United States. They'll be bought up by foreign companies and and we'll go back to where we were. And we, you know, whereas you know, since 2017, when we passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, there's not been a single company gone through the inversion process to be purchased by a foreign company. And in the meantime, we're seeing over and over again people bringing manufacturing back into the United States, and we're seeing jobs in the United States. And they want to undo that. They want to increase a, a global minimum tax so that, in effect, the United States Treasury will get less money because it'll be taxed by some foreign country and then they'll be able to deduct that off their U.S. taxes, and and at the end of the day, U.S. Treasury will be less, and our our country our companies will say, you know what, it's it's not economically feasible to to locate more jobs in the United States, and that that's the sad part of what they're trying to do. It is a sad part, and we we've talked about that, and luckily we have Ireland, which I don't usually praise Ireland for their political views a whole lot, but Ireland kind of threw a wrench in that system where they said, no, sorry, we're going to keep our corporate tax rate at twelve percent. So any country or any company that wants to come over here, you're more than welcome to do so, and I give them credit for that because just one or two countries that don't do that, then they're going to see a massive increase in in uh, corporations wanting to file their headquarters over there as they try to raise these rates though i mean i'm curious on why now because we're still coming after a covid19 pandemic we shut down businesses we made people uh, get on unemployment they were struggling financially we're just starting to get things opened up we still have a labor shortage right now trying to get people back to work with all the unemployment benefits but yet we want to raise individual and corporate tax rates while they're trying to say hey maybe i can actually open my doors and see if i can't make it through this thing and now we want to put another tax burden on them. To me, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense economically. I mean, if you, you ask every economist, and I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any economist, Republican or Democrat, that would say it makes sense coming out of a economic slowdown or a recession to raise taxes because you're going to cut off that economic growth that we're seeing as, as people, as, as companies are starting to get back and they're hiring people and, you know, uh, we get we can get people off the unemployment rolls to go back to, to work in their jobs or, or a new job so that they can actually take care of their family. And, and the Biden administration just doesn't seem to, they don't get that. They think that government's the answer for every problem in the world. And they want to make sure that they take as much of the pie as possible from what you and I and every company and every individual earn so that they can spend it on their pet projects. And part of that gets back to they don't mind having high tax rates because then they'll give credits and and deductions for special projects to all of their friends. And so at the end of the day, it's the special interest to get treated well out of that process and, and the rest of America has to suffer. It's unfortunate. We're talking with Congressman Ron Estes, my congressman right here in the 4th District of the state of Kansas. Let's talk about part of this a little bit with the infrastructure package. I know it's been floating around for a while. There's been new hope, a revived hope, I guess, from Democrats saying they're willing to compromise some on it. But then at the same time, we hear about Al Gore calling Joe Biden and saying, you know, you really need to keep those Green New Deal packages in the infrastructure package. Have you heard anything latest on this? Where is it right now? And uh, is this part of the budgetary discussions going on right now? Or is that just another separate, oh, this will be another $1 trillion, $2 trillion package on top of our regular federal budget? It, it is another $2 trillion, although uh, President Biden said, well, what, maybe I could lower it to $1.7 trillion. <laughs> uh, but it, it is, it is you know, 
everybody believes in infrastructure in terms of, you know, we, we want to have good roads. We want to have safe bridges to drive across. You know, we want to make sure that our, our ports and our, our waterways are, are functioning well. And so everybody agrees with infrastructure. But what they've done is they've taken this bill that they're they're marketing as an infrastructure bill. And in reality, they're they're requiring all these Green New Deal provisions. Uh, they're actually they're going to spend uh, only five percent of the bill on roads and bridges. And they're going to spend over one hundred and seventy four billion dollars, which is more than on roads and bridges. They're going to spend it on electrical vehicle carve-outs and, and special credits and, and uh, other special exemptions just for electric vehicles, more so than they spend on roads and bridges. And at, at the end of the day, it, it's it's really false uh, false advertising in terms of what they're doing. And, and uh, they're, they're lumping so many things into infrastructure that that aren't infrastructure the way we, we think about it. They're mandating union membership for uh, people in old age homes because they want to take care of of elderly infrastructure, quote unquote, wow. and so we need we need to continue to push back and say let's let's at least be honest, and that's part of the problem is there's there's too many politicians that, that won't be honest in terms of what they're talking about, and and we need to push back on that and and continue to do that. Yeah, I mean it's so frustrating because we get packages where sometimes we actually do need something, whether it's you know COVID relief for small business, whether it's infrastructure to some degree, and then it always gets blown up to where that'll be great, and we'll debate that five percent of the bill, and that five percent of the bill is make or break, and if you don't, then military people don't have resources, people are dying in the streets, whatever. But the other massive part of the bills have absolutely nothing to do with what they're actually calling it, and that's why people are absolutely frustrated. And I hope that most Republicans just do a hard line no on this bill because we know that there's going to be so much pork in it it's absolutely ridiculous um i can't believe we're out of time already congressman ron estes we had about 30 seconds left here but uh, keep up the fight it's always good to talk to you i wanted to get to some of the fauci emails and some of the other stuff you guys are doing but we'll get you back on the program again real soon but keep up the fight in dc i know it's hard being in the minority right now but uh, i know that uh, a lot of conservatives still support you guys so we appreciate what you do yeah, well, thank you. And, and uh, there's a lot of good folks here keeping up the fight. And, you know, as we talked about in Bible study this morning is that, you know, we're, we're wanting to make sure that we do the right thing and, and uh, you know, feel feel positive with that, having God to support us in the, in the effort that we're doing. There it is, Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th District right here. That was our uh, chat with him that we had just a couple of days ago on The Voice of Reason. We appreciate his time very much. Now, an update on that yeah, regarding the infrastructure package especially. It looks like they have come to a quote-unquote agreement on the Senate side of the bill. The Senate committee has made an agreement with the uh, Biden administration with many Republicans in the Senate on 570-some-odd billion dollars in new spending. The rest of it's going to be reallotted from other programs, probably some of the COVID stuff that they haven't spent and going to be reappropriated to there. But it's still going to be a $1 trillion package, roughly, with near $600 billion worth of new spending uh, coming into the federal government, and we'll break some of that down. Now, the thing is that uh, Joe Biden wants to compromise on some things in the bill, but then it's made the comment that whatever doesn't get included there, they're going to put in a secondary bill and ram it through as well because, the like usual, Democrats don't like their agenda being compromised and not getting everything they want without throwing a temper tantrum like a little child in a candy store. So if they don't get it in that bill, they'll make sure to get it in the next bill because how dare you try and say government's not the answer for some of these issues. We'll talk about some of that and more when we come back. Open lines to you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Uh, Dave Trobert from the Kansas Policy Institute, he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour to talk about some of the COVID money coming into the state, into the counties, into different cities, and even school boards.
across the state. We'll talk about some of that in a little bit as well. Right here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. 25 minutes past the hour. Dave Traubert, Kansas Policy Institute. He'll be joining us after the bottom of the hour break. Stay tuned in for that one. Until then, let's go to the phones. Open line 0316-721-8255. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, sir? How we doing? Well, it seems like, once again, the city has shown that it's failing the people of Wichita because they always seem to be working in the interest of special interests and not in the public interest. Too many times I'm seeing people who are probably paid off the city some kind of way, getting away with all kinds of things, and yet the regular public is being made to suffer. I mean, here on the northeast side, they have no gas stations, hardly no laundromats, no grocery stores, and yet Special interests are allowed to come in like Mennonites and build houses and have no problem with that, but yet they can't seem to serve the public here. I mean, how are people supposed to have their basic needs provided for, you know, without the city uh, either allowing it or or even uh, getting out of the way? Well, it's a good point. So, yeah, let's let's break down some of that because I'm glad you brought that up with some of the food desert. I mean, as you know, the big news was that Save-A-Lot set to close on July 10th for the grocery store, and that uh, kind of increases that food desert in that northeast corner of the city, especially uh, for a lot of individuals. And it's sad because, uh, I mean, people need fresh produce. People need, like, food to be able to eat. And right now the the option that they're looking at temporarily is having individuals grow gardens in their backyard and be able to sell it, which that's cool and all, but that's not going to be a sustainable type of way to actually uh, give people food in that area. So there's a major issue. Now we have to look at the reasoning. Why Why are we seeing grocery stores close in that area? Well, you know, one of the things about it is maybe they need to have out-of-state groceries, uh, associations and whatnot be allowed to come in and say, well, hey, you know, we can put a grocery store here and the city needs to get out of their way and let them do it. Well, I know what someone's working on. I know that there was a story of a, of a Gallup in that area working on putting a grocery store in there and owning one. But again, I mean, the question is, why why are people leaving? What's the issue with grocery stores not wanting to be in that area? Why is there a problem here? Why can't grocery stores actually come in? Well, one of the things, like I say, they, they messed up the, the area because what they did is a lot of the businesses that were here, they were given so much of a hard time that they weren't able to stay in business. What and do you I, mean by I a hard time? Well, I'm just saying that, like, the city will, uh, you know, they'll do things to uh, agitate a business to where they can't really uh, function. I mean, they've done it in the past. I mean, they've even done it with their own contracts that they've done with, you know, with different people. Supposedly, what do you doing mean, like, like property taxes, or I mean, like uh, regulations? I mean, like, what are they talking? Well, I mean, let's say for example, uh, they had a contract. I think it was with a bowling league one time, and then they failed to do the paperwork properly in time for them to get it done. As far as this grocery store here, it was originally owned by one party, and then some other party bought it, and now that party is the one that's you know moving out. But they're doing that all over. The 
Midwest. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if it's if it's a national, they have one in Tulsa and they moved in. Well, that's a big concern. I mean, if it's a big national chain, there's not much you can do with it. They'll choose to move in and out as they please, which is why it's kind of nice seeing a local individual want to start up a grocery store. But there's a lot of businesses that have closed up in those areas as well with concerns. And I and I I want to figure out the deeper root cause of why business can't sustain there. Is it because of crime and 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 robberies that are happening? What's going on? No, no, because the Wichita itself is mismanaged. You have the Wichita Mall out there on Harry. That used to be full of businesses, and now there's hardly anything there. So, I mean, it's it's a Wichita problem. It's not a certain area. I mean, it's not a question. Of yeah, there's definitely certain areas area across the – uh, Yeah, there's certain areas across the city. Scott, I hate to cut you off. we got a hard time bottom of the hour break here, but you bring up an interesting point, and I'm glad you brought that up because I – I do want to look deeper into and bring some people on to talk about why we have these food deserts, why we have certain problems in certain areas of the city and as a city as a whole with certain business. That is an interesting concept on what's really going on there. It is concerning because I want people to have food. I want people to actually be able to eat properly and not go to a gas station to get a bag of chips for dinner. To me, that breaks my heart. That drives me nuts. More coming up. Stay here. Now back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Oh, the show goes by way too fast. Last half hour of the program. Joe Pegg's live with the weekend coming up after the top of the hour. Here on Kansas Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Scott, appreciate that phone call. I am glad you mentioned that topic about the food deserts. That is a major issue here in the city of Wichita. And we'll continue to discuss that when it gets some people on to talk about that one a little bit more so that's kind of interesting uh but i want to shift gears a little bit as we kind of wrap up the show for today we haven't had this guy on the program in a while now that the state legislative session of 2021 is over we also have all this money rolling in baby for (laughs) for the state of kansas as a whole the counties the cities even the school boards with the major checks of uh, the COVID 19 stimulus from the federal government just saying here you go Here's a check. Do what you want to with it. How much money is it? And is it necessary? And what the heck are we going to spend all this money on? I I, don't, I honestly don't know. I mean, Tedra County has a poll out right now. What do you think we should spend it on? Go to our website and fill out the survey. What do you think we should spend this money on, this over $100 million for the Sedgwick County government alone? To talk about some of that and more, super, super excited to have back on the program. He is with the Kansas Policy Institute. Mr. Dave Trobert with us here. Dave, what's going on, sir? How you doing? Hey, good morning, Andy. Thanks for having me on. No, it's always good to talk to you. It's been way too long, and especially with the session all done now this year, uh, kind of an interesting one. I thought we did well at the state legislative level. We had some bills go through an overriding of a numerous amount of vetoes, and then we fell short on a few. But before we get into some of the other stuff, your thoughts quickly on the on the session. Did we do okay this year-ish? Uh, we did better than okay, Andy. We did great. Cool. Uh, and there's always... Uh, room to do better, but this was one of the most productive sessions uh, from a taxpayer perspective, uh, maybe in a long, long time. Good. Uh, we had major property tax reform, income tax reduction, uh, expanded the tax credit scholarship for education. There was emergency management laws uh, that, that all with a big taxpayer focus. It was really tremendous. 
That is good news. Now, we didn't get some of these school choice bills that we wanted to go through with a, a child savings account to try and create some competition. That's kind of in the works. We had, the I know, the marijuana bill that could potentially create some revenue for the state as well. So we had some other things that came close, but we didn't quite get done. Do you see those carrying on to next year to be uh, to, for us to actually make happen next year? Oh, the education savings account bill is absolutely going to continue. Uh, and there's a growing coalition of parents and policy experts that are going to push this until it happens. There's, it absolutely must happen. You know, it was, it was great. This was the first year that that kind of the program uh, worked. And just for your listeners' benefit, an education savings account uh, is a money follow the child program that would allow uh, kids who were eligible, and in this case, it would have been kids below grade level. Uh, kids with disabilities, including uh, dyslexia, to access an education savings account worth about $4,500 a year. And parents could use that money for whatever they wanted. There's a long list of uh, authorized uses, including tuition to go to a private school. And that is really critical because the big education crisis we have in Kansas isn't money. There's lots and lots of money. It's achievement. Most people don't understand how low student achievement is. I'll, I'll give you this example. There are more high school kids below grade level in Kansas than are on track for college and career. Wow. How scary. That's And it keeps getting worse, too. I mean, the gap continues to widen, doesn't it? It does. Uh, you know, it's, you, you, there are like two to three years worth of learning gap between white students and African-American students, between low-income kids and others uh, who are not low-income. Uh, and, and you know, it just it gets worse as kids go through. They're not getting the basics. Uh, it, it's really unfortunate. You know, you hear these schools uh, talk about, frankly, they gush over their embracing of diversity and equity, and they're going to stamp out discrimination while they are absolutely ignoring their own systemic educational discrimination based on race and income. Yeah. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Now, the big question is, it, once we do get this implemented, and I say when because I am optimistic it's going to happen by next year, uh, very hopefully, but once we do get this implemented, we have these child tax credits, these child savings accounts uh, for education, and we start seeing kids move around to different either magnet schools or charter schools or private schools or even just other public schools in the area as well and traveling around and doing whatever they have to do. What type of response do you think would come from the local school districts? What, how, what is going to be their response? Are they going to be forced to actually raise the quality? Are they going to throw a fit and try and get it repealed? I mean, what do you think is going to be uh, the, the quote-unquote uh, effect, the cause and effect of this that's going to happen once it gets implemented? Well, I, I tell you, the, the cause and effect is going to be, it, we, we know what it's going to be based on what's happened in other states. Uh, of course, the school boards and the administrators won't like it, and I'm sure they would try to repeal it. But uh, I got to tell you, it, what's good, the long-term effect is going to be that all the kids are going to benefit, whether they use the, the opportunities to go to a private school or whether they stay there, because the only thing that gets the school board's attention is the threat of losing a dollar. And if they know that kids can leave and go to a different uh, opportunity go to a different school. They're going to fight to. They're going to have to compete. They have to raise uh, achievement, uh, and that's what happened elsewhere. You look at what's happened. Florida got this started. 
uh, back in the late 90s. Uh, and they were one of the worst states in the nation at that point. Uh, but now they are one of the best states in the nation. I'll give you an example. Fourth grade reading, they went from 12% proficient. This is for low-income kids. 12% proficient to 28% proficient. Now, th- that's still a long way to go, but 28% is the best in the nation. Wow. It went from being about the worst to the first. And at the same time, Kansas went from, it went down from 22% to 20. Florida has blown past Kansas and a lot of other states because they embrace uh, kind of an all of the above approach. It was choice, transparency, accountability. And maybe the most important ingredient, the courage to implement those changes. All the kids are benefiting. It's not just in Florida, it's in Arizona, it's in Indiana. States that have taken the uh, students first approach uh, and nothing gets in the way of improving student achievement. The, the kids, whether they stay in school, uh, public school or go to private school, they're all benefiting. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're talking about Dave Traubert, Kansas Policy Institute. Let's shift gears and talk about financing just a little bit. During the legislative session, we did pass our new state budget for the upcoming year that starts in July. That one did include the additional, what was it, four or five, six hundred million dollars for additional spending in education, I think, as well. Where are we? And over the last year during COVID, did the schools actually take a hit financially because they were doing virtual? Did they get more money with COVID? Obviously, we got checks coming in now that I want to talk about in just a minute. But leading up to this, where are we finance-wise with the local school districts across these states? Are they, have they taken a hit or have they gotten more money? Uh, they've gotten a lot more money. Uh, the the uh, they, First of all, they didn't take a hit because kids some kids left and, and did homeschooling or they went to a private school. But schools didn't lose any money over that uh, because the formula uh, allows them to get paid for prior year enrollments for up to two years. Uh, so even if they, they've lost, some of them did lose students, but they, they didn't lose the money to those students. They're still getting paid. Uh, there was also an increase in per-pupil funding this year, and there's going to be another oh, about $240 million increase next year. Uh, and that's just the state funding. The, they also got several hundred million dollars uh, last year from federal stimulus. And over the next 12 months, they're going to get 830 million more. Wow. Unbelievable. I mean, they get more and more of this cash, which uh, then we complain that we don't have enough cash. Now we get this major check. Why Why are, by the way, school districts getting this new check that while the counties and the cities and the state governments all getting this massive check from the federal government uh, just over the last couple of weeks here, why are they just getting this massive big check and saying, here you go, this is your COVID relief, do what you need to do to help get yourself back on track after COVID? What was the purpose of it? What is, what, what's it going to be used for? Politics is the purpose. Uh, it was uh, like everything else that came out of, is coming out of Washington now and has for a long time. It's politically motivated. There's no looking at a need. Uh, the, uh, the schools didn't lose money. Uh, the state has money. The schools have money. But it was, uh, and it's like the same thing that's going on right now with uh, infrastructure discussions and, you know, what is infrastructure. It's all driven by politics. It's definitely not driven by need. I mean, there were some extra costs, undoubtedly, from uh, you know, PPE and, and dealing with the COVID situation. But that money came out last year. 
they had that to use. Uh, they're going to have a tough time figuring out how to spend all this money. It's supposed <laughs> to be used. It can be and should be used to make up for uh, the education loss that so many kids had as a result of the way schools handled the pandemic. Uh, you know, keeping kids out of school uh, sometimes for almost a year. Yeah. Uh, forcing them to do remote, which just wasn't working. Everybody, I think, and even a lot of teachers said it wasn't working. Uh, so, you know, they they can and should use the money to, to try to help uh, those kids catch up. Wow. How crazy. Now, the emergency funds, you mentioned the PPEs, and they had a little bit of money go out there, but that was mostly covered by refunds from the federal government as well and passed at covid bills and relief packages that were passed, wasn't it? I mean, uh, with the ad- additional laptops or additional PPE equipment to try and keep things sanitary, that stuff didn't come out of the pockets of the school districts, did it? That uh, I mean, they haven't touched their emergency funds that were already at record highs. Well, we, we haven't seen, we won't see what they did with their funds they had in the bank at the beginning of the last school year until probably sometime this fall, uh, because that's only updated annually, and they may have used some, but they had uh, I mean, they had almost a billion dollars in operating reserves. Now, and some of that money, uh, it has some restrictions on it, but you know that's that's more than double what they had in 2005, and that's just the operating capital reserves, uh, which can be used for things like PCs and laptops, uh, even some you know like maintenance costs. Uh, that was another four or five hundred million dollars. Wow. It's crazy how much money they actually get, and it's all being covered. And you're right. We'll see kind of what happens there after. Let's take a break real quick. Dave Trobert, Kansas Policy Institute. When we come back, I want to shift gears from the educational side of it and talk about local government, cities and counties across the state. How much money are they getting with this COVID-19? And again, what are we using it for? Cedric County receiving over a $100 million check from the federal government saying, here you go. Here's your COVID-19 relief. The pandemic's almost over. We're lower. We're seeing a decrease in vaccinations. We're not seeing as much testing. Why are we sinking this money in for COVID relief, and what actually are we going to use this for? We'll discuss that and more when we come back here. 48 minutes past the hour. It's Candace Talk here on The Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. the top of the hour just a few minutes left here on the program thanks for hanging out with us here on a saturday 316-721-8255 316-721-TALK flies right on by great conversation with dave Trobert, kansas policy institute as we continue on talking about some of the money coming in from the covid19 relief which i find absolutely hysterical as we try and find creative ways to spend this money let's shift gears from the education and talk about the cities, counties, and the state government as a whole with how much money's coming in. As we mentioned, Cedric County just getting a $100 million check and saying, here you go, do your thing. And the county now holding a survey for residents of Cedric County saying, what would you like us to spend this money on? I've always made the comment that government should never have more money than they know what to do with. They should figure out projects to be able to spend it efficiently with the money that they actually have coming in. We're seeing the opposite of that now. How much money is coming into some of these counties, and what do you think the cities or counties are going to spend this on? Are they going to expand their government to where we're going to be in trouble in a couple of years when the money runs out, or are we going to give it to businesses and individuals struggling? I mean, what's this going to look like? Well, uh, it's it's going to vary a lot from county to county, city to city. I think, uh, you know, first of all, uh, it, it's the number you cited, $100 million for Sedgwick County, is accurate. But that's just for the county. 
yeah. uh, the city of Wichita is getting 73 million. Yes. Uh, every city and county is is going to be getting money, and and it in total across Kansas, it's 1.1 billion dollars. That's in addition to the 830 million we talked about for schools, and then there's 1.6 billion more for the state of Kansas. And the, there's a lot of different uses uh, that are laid out in the uh, American Rescue Plan Act or ARPA uh, that you know, how the money can be used. Uh, one of them. Uh, one of the approved uses is to compensate people and businesses for losses they suffered. And, and that is, you know, I would argue that that is where at least half, if not a lot more of that money should go. Uh, the, uh, there, there, was, there, there were some uh, distributions of money uh, in, in last year uh, that cities and counties did and, and state, but, but it didn't begin to touch the damage, the economic damage that was done. Uh, and, and, and people as well. And, and I think that there's a lot of ways they could do it. And one simple way, uh, I mean, you could set up a really complex uh, bureaucracy, if you will, to try to figure out who gets what. But one simple way we think could be done is just to declare, OK, everybody had some degree of consequence uh, and we're going to uh, make it simple. We're going to rebate a percentage of the property tax you paid. Mm, there we uh, go. And, and that would make a big, big difference to individuals and employees. You know, and, and property tax is, is just way, way out of control. We have some of the highest effective property tax rates in the nation. Uh, there is good news on the property tax front. One of the things we got done in the legislature this year was passed enormous reform uh, it's called the Truth and Taxation Act. And, and you know how, how cities and counties like to say, oh, we're holding the line on property taxes while we know they're pocketing big increases from valuation changes. Well, this bill is going to make them be honest about how much they're increasing property tax every year. Sure. So here's what's going to happen. This year, right now, there's new valuations being finalized. And automatically, by law, the mill rate for every city, county, and school district is going to decline so that those new valuations produce the same dollar amount of property tax as they got this year. And then if local officials want to raise even a dollar more of property tax, they have to notify citizens what they want to do, how much it's going to be, when they're going to hold a public meeting. So you can come out with, you know, your tar and feather, pitchforks, whatever you want to do, and, and tell them what you think of the property tax increase. And then they have to vote on it. There's no list restrictions on what they do, but they have to vote on it to be honest. So they'll be on record saying, yeah, I voted to increase your property tax 4%, 6%, 8%, whatever it is. Sure. Yeah, and they're losing their minds over it because they don't want to have to be on record doing that. And they don't want to have to go through the red hoops. They just want to be able to say, well, we need the money, so therefore we're going to increase property taxes. So that's just the way it is. It's only like a piece of pizza, you know, the price of a pizza for $100,000 on your home or whatever it is. I love when they start using that and be like, it's not that much. It's only 20 bucks per every, you know, $1,000 or something. So they uh, they try to minimize it and just disregard it as well. And as you mentioned, I mean, businesses are struggling. There are two major industries right now that are hurting that we hear in the news about constantly. One is some of the venues and the the uh, the concert venues that have been opened up again after the pandemic. They still haven't received federal relief that they applied for like three months ago, and that money hasn't come in for many of them as they're trying to book gigs and trying to book artists again that they can't pay because they have no more money left. At the same time, I just read a story earlier this morning that 33% of small business across the state of Kansas is not able to afford to pay 
their June rent. We have a major issue while we're trying to open up the state of Kansas right now. While the public side of it, the government's uh, at the city level, the county level, the school board level, even the statewide level as a whole, they're just raking this money in left and right. Yeah, you know, there, there is uh, a lot of the research we've done uh, shows that uh, cities and counties uh, are spending more money than necessary. I mean, it's just human nature. If no one ever looks at, at what they're spending with an eye toward, is it necessary? Is it effective? There's going to be waste. And, and you know, we've done a, a, a per-resident spending comparison across all 105 counties. And you find that similar-sized counties, uh, some of them are spending two to three times as much as their peers providing the same basic basket of services. There's, there's a lot of different ways that can be done to reduce the spending. I mean, this truth in taxation law is going to help a lot. It's going to save Kansans hundreds of millions of dollars in the coming years uh, because it's going to, having to be honest about the increase is going to suppress the, the rate of growth and, you know, reducing it by one point. Every percentage point is, is going to save about $52 million. Uh, and, and, but that's in the short term. Long term, they need to really start um, looking at their budgets and going, you know, implementing a performance-based budget. So most, most governments, Andy, and this is why they do it, they don't have a budget process. They think they do. Hmm. But what they have is an appropriations process. Every agency comes in, every department and says, okay, I got $10 million last year. I want $10.4 million this year. Here's how I'll spend it. And by the way, if I don't get it, then puppies are going to die and rapists are going to run free. Right. Uh, it's, there's scare tactics used. We never look at, well, how did you spend the money last year? Did you accomplish your goals? Did you have goals? How do you measure success? Is this as efficient as you can provide that service? That's what needs to be done. And, and that's gonna, only going to happen when enough citizens rise up and say, this is it. We are being taxed out of our homes. We're, Kansas is the fourth worst state for taxes on retirees, according to Kiplinger's. Wow. Uh, we have the, the tax foundation says Kansas has the highest effective tax rate in the nation on mature businesses. This has to stop. Uh, no amount of subsidies and incentives uh, for a handful of businesses is, is going to turn this around. Yeah. It's crazy. Dave Traubert, Kansas Policy Institute. We need to be active to show the transparency because they haven't had that transparency or accountability in a very long time. We just spend the money, and then when it doesn't work, we need to spend more money. That's been the ongoing uh, track record for them. KansasPolicy.org is the website to go and check that out. Dave, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. It's been a while. Let's get you back on the program again here real soon and get another update. Great. Thanks a lot, Andy. Always good to chat with you, my friend, and happy 4th of July next week. That is it for us today. Joe Pags live with the weekend coming up right around the corner here on KQAM, plus the Shrine Bowl. Make sure to stay tuned in for that. We are broadcasting that at 7 p.m. tonight, kickoff 645 for the pregame. Until then, I'm back at it on Monday with The Voice Reason. Back at it next week for Kansas Talk. Have a wonderful weekend.